right in. Welcome back to another episode of Rebel with a Cause. And I am your host, Eric. And joining me on the line tonight is Joel, all the way from Oregon. And I like uh, mispronouncing it on purpose. Uh, <laughs> He is the owner of an e-liquid uh, shop called a Vapor Rain uh, for those uh, for those vapes out there, uh, and I know the libertarian audience uh, just loves vapes and uh, and all the various things that can go into it. Uh, Joel, how's it going? I'm doing great, Eric. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, no problem at all. Uh, the uh, Empress of Memes, uh, Melissa, she's the one who uh, kind of told me what was going on there. Uh, so basically, you've come up against the uh, the regulations of the Almighty Fed. And, uh, you know, six people died of, uh, of, uh, spurious vapes and now your business is affected. Is that right? Uh, that's correct. And that, is that just for like all the vapes in general, or is it just like the, the different kind of flavors like bubble gum and cotton candy and stuff? So right now what we're seeing is a, um, states are taking action and banning the sale of what they call flavored vapor products, if not all vapor products, um, and the reason they're doing that uh, ostensibly is to protect the kids. Now, of course, most of the people in this industry understand that the deaths are occurring because of tainted uh, e-cigarette uh, cartridges, uh, marijuana yeah. uh, oil. So completely different from flavored vapor products as far as e-liquid, you know, nicotine products go. Um and, you know, we've been fighting the uh, the regulations on, on this industry for a long time now, and it's become very clear to me that uh, these regulations do indeed destroy innovation, if not entire industries. Yeah, um, I was uh, when I say I was uh, reading something today where now people are so scared of the of the vape products that they've gone back to smoking cigarettes, <laughs> which has a proven track record of killing thousands of people every year. But, correct. but, you know, six uh, dumb teenagers uh, making vape products in their, in their backyard sheds and everything. And uh, now all of a sudden we have a crisis, uh, probably because Philip Morris says it's a crisis. That's right. They do stand to gain from the uh, prohibition of flavored vapor products. Um, the uh, what was I going to say? Dang it. It's OK. It'll come to you. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, I had a thought there. I totally forgot what, what I was going to say. <laughs> well, that's <Dead> a, air. <laughs> no, that's okay. We can we can edit some of the silence out. Um, but uh, we'll kind of maybe backtrack a little bit. So uh, Philip Morris probably stands to gain the RJRs, the the big tobacco companies. Um, either go ahead. Uh, I was going to say they either have their own vape products that they've bought, or they're trying to get the the vape products off the shelf. That's right. Yes. Um, not that long ago, Altria um, bought 30% of Juul. I think it was 30%, 35% mm-hmm. for something like a billion dollars. Um, when we saw that happen, of course, we knew for a while that Juul was headed in that direction. Um, now they recently have broken with one of the, one of the bigger uh vapor rights lobbying groups called vapor trade association jewel split with them and said publicly that they were i believe they said they were um, totally fine with fda banning flavors Hmm. so what we can take from that is of course 
when they say that, they know that the FDA is pushing a ban of flavors not including tobacco and menthol. Juul conveniently has a tobacco and menthol flavor that wouldn't be hit by the uh, prohibition or the bans. Um, now, this is just clearing the market for their products. These right. guys stand to gain. Philip Morris stands to gain. They actually just recently had a product, the first e-cigarette product approved by the FDA. It's called the IQOS. I've not used it. Uh, I don't know anyone who's used it, um, mm. but I can I can say that <laughs> it's not it's not what vapors have been using for a long time now. Millions of us, really. I think there's 13 million people in this country who vape. Yeah, uh, I I think I read a so similar number. It's in, it's in the millions, D- yeah. double digit too. You know, that's that's not a that's not a small part of the overall population of the United States. It's like 320 million. So you know, you're talking a, a good chunk of people out there, right? And and you know, and it's not just you know hipster dudes with uh, fedora hats on and everything. I mean, <laughs> I've seen a ton of different types of people vape, and for the large part, it's uh, you know getting away from the cigarette smoke because if they're really just wanting the nicotine stuff, you know, they're not going to sit there and suck on a potato which has got nicotine in it. You know, they'd right. rather just do something that they're familiar with. Uh, which those vapes, you know, they got them now that they're so small, they're about the size of a cigarette anyways. You know, and I've seen some of the really huge ones with the big old battery packs and everything like that on there too. So, I mean, it, it they're just trying to get that nicotine hit without all of the other different chemicals that the truth commercials like to tell us that are in there. You know, and then yep. all of a sudden they started slamming uh, the vape products as soon as they came out with little Muppets and everything. I'm like going, guys, come on. <laughs> They're just getting the nicotine. That's That part right there is not going to kill you. Yeah, it's addictive. Uh, but, you know, that's not really going to harm you in any kind of way. I, I don't think there's been any kind of link of cancer and everything to nicotine just because it's found in, you know, all kinds of fruits and vegetables and stuff. So That's right. Uh, vaping, I want to say this. Uh, I think I, this is what I was going to say earlier. Uh, so those tobacco numbers, as far as deaths per year, I think they're around about 450,000. Yeah. Uh, so that many people dying and then vaping pops up and it takes a hold, you know, within a couple of years, it becomes pretty mainstream. Uh, I think I like to look at this as a free market solution to a public, a real public health crisis. Right, right. People were able to get their nicotine without all the lousy and harmful side effects of you know, inhaling, uh, uh, (laughs) putting tar in your lungs. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big sellers, um, before vapes came around was those, uh, extra filters that you would pop on the end of a cigarette that would take a little bit more of the, of the crap that's in the smoke out. And, you know, they had like little cartridges and stuff that you would change like every pack or so. So yeah, it's an actual public health uh, crisis that actually costs everybody who's got health insurance a lot of money every year. And, uh, you know, I'm not even sure what the numbers on that. You can only imagine it's probably in the billions. Uh, oh, I bet. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, vapes come along uh, considerably safer other than, you know, a battery exploding in your pocket. I've read some stories about that. But that was in the early days. And I don't, I don't think I've read anything in the last uh, three or four years about, you know, uh bad batteries, you know, catching fire in people's pockets and stuff. Um, But yeah, even on top of that, you know, now it's cutting into the business of taxation because we've all taxed and regulated the cigarettes. 
And now people are switching over to vapes, and now that all that tax dollar is not going into the government on time, which I think is another reason why they're coming out and saying, oh, no, 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 it's bad for you. Don't do that. <laughs> Correct. If you look at the industry, the vapor industry, it's very decentralized. We don't have, you know, a Pepsi and Coca-Cola of the vapor industry. There are a lot of really, really big companies. Yeah. There's also a lot of really medium-sized companies, and then there's even more small companies. Yeah. Uh, they don't have lobbying power. Uh, this is one of the reasons I think that the government came after vaping so hard and so fast, because you got to think it's 2019. This industry really is still in its infancy. Uh, 2013, 2012 is when I would say that started getting some mainstream uh, attention. Right. So if you look at the, we can't have this conversation without mentioning the master settlement agreement of 1998. Governments reached a, this agreement with big tobacco companies where I'm just going to summarize this. I'll, I'll give you the gist. <laughs> big tobacco promised a percentage of their annual profits to the state governments if they would block litigation against them. So if you had a grandfather who smoked his whole life, died of smoking related disease, he can't go forward with a lawsuit against the tobacco companies. Right. So in exchange for them blocking this litigation, they were to receive a percentage of the profits. Now, since 2013, Big Tobacco's profits have been steadily falling. I can't give you the numbers. I think it's at, at this point, I would I could say that they've probably lost billions of dollars. Yeah. That it has to, and, it has to be in the billions. Yeah. Right. So what does what does Big Tobacco do? They're going to use the power of their lobbying uh, organizations to get government to essentially wipe out the competition for them. Yeah. And um you know, back in the late '90s, when um, legalization of um, of cannabis was starting to come around, you know, we all kind of found out uh, Philip Morris's dirty little secret, where they were rolling the government uh, uh, joints for those who had qualified for medicinal use back in the '90s. So they would get like this ten of twenty joints, and it was all rolled on on uh, on Philip Morris machines. So we used to joke, well, well, let's go get the Marlboros because there's probably maybe a little hint of weed <laughs> on it <laughs> back in the day. And then sometimes you would smoke a cigarette and you could swear you smelled it and you know nobody nearby was doing it. Um, so maybe a little bit something to look up there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and you're you're producing these these very e-liquids um, and that, that are the, the focus of all of this stuff. And, you know, like you were telling me in the pre-show, you know, you've got a lab. That uh, that is making this stuff for you, uh, and you know right. it's uh, quality checked and everything. Um, yep. So it's definitely not your stuff that's going out there and causing you know some kind of uh, lung poison uh, that we're seeing in some of the stuff where people were making it themselves. Right. And this is what a responsible free market would do, like you said. Vaping is pretty much decentralized. There's nobody really going to come in there and say, "Oh, well, you got to have this machine up to code, and you can't have this going on and this this." Uh, but like you said, you, you don't want to poison your customers. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. And in yeah. fact, uh, if you look back 2012, 2013, when uh, vaping was just really kind of getting started as far as mainstream uh, in this country, no one died back then of nicotine poison. And you got to think the consumer, let's call it the consumer knowledge of the product was much lower than it is today. Right. No one dying. No one was getting sick to the point where they were, uh, you know, missing. Um, no one was. No one was getting hurt 
and this within the context of a public or rather a consumer base that doesn't really know all that much about the product it shows you two things the desperation that these customers had for getting away from cigarettes right right most of those people were old people who had accepted that they were going to smoke cigarettes until they died right but those are the same people now to the, right now who are like okay well they're kind of immune to the government propaganda because they had already come from a position where they kind of had, ex- had accepted yeah. that they were going to be cigarette smokers until they died. So now they go, even if they don't know like that, this is total bullshit. They go, well, you know what? Uh, fuck them. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those things. Uh, it, we all have that family member that has been smoking since they were 12 and you know, they ain't giving it up. It doesn't matter how high the taxes are getting, but now they're starting to look at the vape products because they just see it as, well, you know, I, I can't I keep this around the cartridges. You know, I'm not having to buy, you know, $40, $50, uh, you know, half carton of cigarettes and everything. Uh, and this will last me just as long. And, you know, and then they, they actually find themselves doing it a little bit less because that nicotine hit is like right there and immediate and it'll last them all day long. They don't have to keep going outside to smoke and everything. So, yeah, the, the vaping itself is much more efficient uh if you look at cigarettes there's about 15 to 20 um, milligrams of nicotine in each stick so your body actually only absorbs one milligram of that nicotine with vaping you absorb all of it Um, so i think a lot of these people who have switched from smoking say they had a 20-year habit they switched to vaping um you know they got the effects right away and they also probably felt like look my quality of life has improved just within a week I can taste food again. Yeah. I can walk up the staircase without losing my breath. Um, you know, I can keep up with the grandkids and they feel good about themselves because they don't smell like a goddamn ashtray. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at at the worst, if you're standing outside and someone's vaping and you just get that cloud, you know, and, <laughs> you know, sometimes you can walk through it and you're like, oh, watermelon. Really? That, that was a flavor. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is interesting to think of the. Uh, secondhand vapor being probably the most least offensive kind of secondhand vapor that you could possibly imagine. It happens to smell like a candle. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely not offensive. And I, I've uh, known people who even just do like the regular tobacco flavored vapes. And, you know, even then when they're uh, blowing out the, the vape and everything, it, it doesn't smell like a lit cigarette. Cause that, right. you know, walking through cigarette smoke and you're like, Oh, you know, I used to smoke. I I know how it smells, but after you've not done it for a long time, and then when you get back into that cloud of the uh, the cigarette smoke, you're like, oh man, yeah, I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, and it doesn't dissipate. The cigarette smoke lingers, and you can smell it all day. Whereas with the vapor, you know, after about a minute or so, really, it's hard to tell that anybody even vaped, you know, nearby. Yeah. I mean, unless they're blowing it like right into your clothes and then maybe you might smell like a, you know, a piece of bubble gum for the rest of the afternoon. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's not too bad. And, and, and we can, we can joke about, you know, the competitive uh, vaping thing that I've seen pictures of where, you know, people try to do like the biggest cloud that they can, uh, you know, the guy uh, taking a picture of his vape on the beach and, you know, getting the tattoos and stuff. We can say, yeah, you know, this is kind of silly. But at the same time, you got to you got to look at it from a market response to a problem, and government likes to get in there and they say, okay, well, this is obviously bad, so we're going to have to charge you a tax on top of it. 
you know, so that you don't do it anymore. So then when the market responds, you're not doing it as much. And then they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is dangerous. Six people died. <laughs> but they don't really want to get too bogged down into the details of how and why. You know, they just want to say, look, it's bad. And their position is, look, we're going to still sell these cigarettes, you know, with the tax, alcohol and everything. And I recently posted a picture uh, on Instagram from the Army PX where they have cartons of Marlboros and camels around. And there's a little notice right there that says AFES is no longer going to sell vape products until the <laughs> CDC says it's safe. And I'm like, can you guys not tell that, <laughs> you know, you have one that has a proven track record of people dying of cancer. And the vape products, it's like, you know, less than 10, a statistical zero in a country of 320 million. And those were all done from, you know, people cooking up their own crap in their in their kitchens. Yeah. Yeah. These were actually the deaths, as far as I know, were counterfeit THC products where they added uh, vitamin E acetate. Uh, I believe it was added as a thickening agent can cause fatal pneumonia. Yeah. Uh, these states, however, where these kids, kids, they were under 18, yeah. purchased these uh, products it banned they had essentially prohibition on weed right yeah. so these kids who if they lived in a state where weed was legal they would have probably purchased you know gone through their older brother or a friend or some someone yeah purchased those products from a dispensary rather than going online i think they got these these tainted cartridges from china mm. so we see that the prohibition on marijuana in fact most likely led to the deaths of these kids but on the flip side Look in Oregon, we have the Oregon uh, Liquor Control Commission, I believe yeah. is what it's called, OLCC, and they are responsible for overseeing, regulating the uh, dispensaries here. Yeah. Now, they failed because those kids who died in uh, Portland, I believe, bought from a legal dispensary. So at the end of the day, the government can't protect you, no. right? And it won't protect you. Um and if you look at Tobacco 21 legislation, which to me is laughable, if you want to get a teenager to do something, tell them they can't do it. Right. Uh, tobacco like 21 legislation absolutely doesn't work. And they're admitting that it doesn't work by going full-scale prohibition on all flavored vapor products. Right. Yep. Uh, so like the, uh, the, the goofy T-shirt with the, uh, with the Murray Rothbard on there, I've got 99 problems and the government is responsible for all of them. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's absolutely right. We've seen the sales alone in Oregon have just bottomed out in the last few months, mostly as a result of this, you know, concerted propaganda campaign against vaping. Uh, if you look at Washington state, uh, the numbers lately, cigarette sales have skyrocketed as a result of flavored vapor prohibition. Yeah. So these state governments most, most definitely have blood on their hands. Yeah. And, and, you know, like I, like I was telling you earlier, you know, I saw an article where people are now going back to the cigarettes because they think the vapes are going to do them in instantly and they have no concept. But, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, you tell somebody something scary and they're going to believe whatever boogeyman you put in front of them. And, you know, as as a lot of us, we're trying to say, no, 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 that's not something to be afraid of. And uh, you hear it on, you know, some of the other podcasts and everything. I was just listening to a Joe Rogan today, and they were saying, "Well, you know, an unregulated market, you know, people will be cooking, you know, crap up in their in their kitchens." And I was like, "Oh, what's that? It's a mid roll read." Yeah, yeah, it kind of happens now, anyways. Uh, <laughs> you know, so if you look at the vapor industry, there's a huge, huge community of what we call DIY vapors. These are people who make their liquid themselves. Yeah. 
this idea that a market absent government regulations is completely unregulated is totally false. Yeah. The truth is the consumer at the end of the day regulates the market. If you serve some crap or some tainted crap, you're going to lose customers. You're going to go out of business. Yeah. Uh, the, the market clearly rewards people who serve businesses that serve them the best. So yeah. this idea that without the FDA, it would be completely unregulated is just absolutely false. Yeah. Um, worse, worse yet, it defends the FDA, which in my uh, understanding <laughs> and my research, we could all use a little less of the FDA. In fact, we would we would benefit greatly from the abolition of the FDA. Yeah, exactly. And um, but you can't tell this to, uh, you know, what we like to call the status muggles. But uh, yeah, because we'll say, yeah, we want to abolish the FDA. It was like, well, you know, people will get tainted aspirin. I was like, we we've had tainted aspirin before. Um, but, you know, even if you sold one bottle of tainted aspirin where one, per one person got sick or died, that would be the end of that manufacturer. They would never be trusted again. And I've told people a lot. The the market is a far harsher judge, jury, and executioner than any government would ever be because somebody's yeah. getting paid from that company to produce whatever it is. You know, and with the FDA, you know, you're talking billions of dollars in research and development. You got to show how effective it is. And, you know, we, we know that that doesn't always work because of Vioxx. You know, they had something out there. It was starting to hurt main people and they had to pull it back off the shelf. And it was only because they got kickbacks from Big Pharma. Or you could look at baby aspirin. The FDA does not allow aspirin manufacturers, baby aspirin manufacturers, to put on the label uh, information about uh, preventing first heart attack. Yeah. It's my understanding that if you're in your middle age, uh, if you take a baby aspirin once a day, um, it can prevent first heart attack by a pretty significant percentage. Yeah, it's that low uh, dose of aspirin. Yeah. What's that? Oh, it's a low dosage of aspirin. It's like 81 milligrams or something like that in, instead of the 100. Imagine how many lives could be saved every year if those companies were allowed to put that on the label, and yet they're not. Yeah. Well, it's also like vitamins and everything. And you know what a particular set of vitamins will do for you, but they can't put any of that information on there because it's not been approved by the FDA. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, and, and, all right, so – old man problems here. Cause I'm 40. You know, I take <laughs> saw palmetto, you know, because I'm worried about prostate and stuff. They can't put any of that on the label, even though I know what the saw palmetto does. They can't say, well, you know, these, they, you know, these statements haven't been reviewed or approved by the FDA. And you're like, just, you know, sell me the stuff that I want to take. And if it's bad, I, you know, I will definitely find out. And uh, if you got no liability protection, you know, vaccine makers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would go out of business and guess what? That's what needs to happen because that's the market signal. It's like, oh, look, that company went out of business because they were selling garbage. Let's not repeat that mistake. Let's instead find out what happened, make a better product for the customer. And everybody is served better that way. Right. Let's talk about the uh, pre-market tobacco application. Uh, this is otherwise known as the PMTA this is coming due May of next year, 2020. Uh, this is essentially regulatory prohibition. Uh, the FDA is requiring this uh, application submission. Estimates range from hundreds of thousands of dollars to a couple million dollars to get your products uh, tested, not even guaranteed to be approved. 
So 97% of the market that we have now, which of course isn't the same size as it was last year, it's, it's much smaller than it was last year, right. thanks to regulatory uncertainty, um, these companies will either have to pay the FDA to get a, a shot at approval. There's, Like I said, there's no guarantee. Um, and even if they do get um, approved, you know, they're out a couple million bucks. I mean, there's no way that this is going to uh, benefit anyone except for <laughs> ding, 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 Altria, the yeah. big guys. Yeah, because they can afford, you know, it was like, okay, yeah, it's $350,000 for this application where we got to send it to a lab that's going to send them the results. Basically, all they're doing is pushing paperwork around for $300,000 or $500,000 or whatever it is. I'd like that gig. You know, I can shuffle paperwork around for for half a million dollars if you want to do that. But, uh, you know, this is government that we're talking about. It's not going to be efficient. Uh, Stuff will fall through the cracks or, you know, the right palms will get greased and that, you know, the big company will go through no problem. And it's like, okay, RJR, uh, Philip Morris, you guys got your little vape company. We know your labs are good. You know, rubber stamp, boom, there you go. You're on the market. And then a little guy like yourself, um, who's, you know, producing his own stuff and you got a laboratory to do it for you, you know, that you're going to have a much harder time to get through there because you don't have a lobbyist in Washington, D.C. Right. Exactly. Uh, or or in Olympia, or, or in a, not Olympia, Portland, Oregon, you know, you don't have a lobbyist down there either. So. No, and you know, I want to take some time real quick to talk about the We Vape, We Vote. I don't know if anyone's heard about this. Uh, it's kind of a movement, I suppose. Um, boy, I, you know, I got to give those guys credit for, you know, firing up, uh, you know, uh, energy in the industry. Yeah. Um, but I've always maintained that our inalienable rights are not up for a vote. Yeah. It's not even uh, up for a question. <laughs> no, absolutely yeah. not. I think in this case, civil disobedience, in other words, shop saying, look, you know, fuck your regulations. We're going to sell what our customers have been buying for years. Yeah. Um, I think a solution potentially could be we get enough shops on board, you know, saying fuck the regulations. We're going to continue to do what we've been doing. Right. And you make enforcement too costly. Yeah. That's uh, it's kind of how we got legal in a whole bunch of states. Is you know we're just going <laughs> to set up a dispensary, you know, fuck your laws. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and even uh, you can even look at Uber. Uh, you know, when I was driving for Uber in Baton Rouge, there was you know there for a while it wasn't legal to drive an Uber in Baton Rouge. Cops weren't going to enforce that law because their rate of drunk driving incidents went down, and it's a college town. You know, and that's huge. Even if it goes down like 10%, you know, cops are like, no, no, no. Let let the guys drive the drunken college kids all over the place. At least they're not getting behind uh, the wheel of a car so we can scrape them off of the pavement at three o'clock in the morning. You know? Right. And, you know, if it's got to do that with the, with the vapes, uh, you know, then that's how it's got to go. You know, you just got to get shops together and say, look, we're just going to continue to sell. You know, they're going to pick one that they can make an example out of. Uh, we already right. know that's the that's the tactic. Uh, anytime we see tax protests or anything like that, they always like to pick a celebrity uh, to be the to be the fall guy. Yeah, you know Wesley Snipes comes to mind. I was like, I see? was just about to say Wesley Snipes. <laughs> I was like, you see what happens? You see what happens when you go against us? We're gonna make right. we're gonna make an, a, a, an example out of him. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, if you got vape shops in the area that are getting very vocal, you know, they're getting on the news saying, look, you know, you guys are killing my business here. You know, I've got kids to feed, you know, I've got to keep the lights on and stuff and customers want this stuff, but they don't want to be scared away from it. You know, we've been doing it for years. They haven't seen anybody drop dead in our shop or anything. Right. Uh, yeah. They're going to go after that one. Who's, who's very loud and vociferous, uh, <laughs> and getting in front of the cameras and everything. So, but yeah, it's, it's a tough road to hoe. You know, I, I can only imagine what kind of headaches you have to go through just trying to get that stuff out on the shelves. Yeah, there's a quick rundown of things that have changed in the last couple of years. Uh, so when I start, when I got into this business, would have been 2016, roughly January, February. And so right, when no, the market was heating up. That's right. Yeah. There were no requirements, label requirements uh, from the FDA. Now, in January of 2016. That's uh, about eight months before August 8th, 2016, which the FDA released what they called the deeming regulations. These regulations were so wide reaching. They, it was a list of things that they classified as tobacco products. It include everything related to vaping, yeah. batteries, tanks, coils, e-liquid, even e-liquid that didn't have nicotine. They classified battery chargers as tobacco products, and this gave them supposedly gave them the authority to regulate as a tobacco product. Um, yeah, Sheldon Richmond actually has like a blog uh, on his smoking habit. So it's like, you know, pipes and stuff. They're all listed as a tobacco product, even though it's not made out of tobacco. It just happens to be sold in the same place where tobacco is sold. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's a great blog. I highly recommend that. Uh, to any listeners, uh, I just read that actually a couple weeks ago. I was like, man, this stuff is great. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a good resource. Sheldon Richmond, he's a he's a he's a fountain of knowledge. You know, he's, yeah, that's, uh, he's got a lot going on behind that beard. <laughs> yeah, libertarianinstitute.org, I believe, right? Yep, that's one of his. Yep. So label requirements for the e-liquid products back in 2016, before the uh, deeming regs, actually. So. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. You'll see that on all, you'll see that on every single e-liquid bottle for sale in stores. Right. It used to be uh, most shops, most businesses would put, you know, a warning label that said something to the effect of keep out of reach of children and pets, you know, 18 and older. Right. This is before there were even laws that restricted minors from buying uh, nicotine products. Now, this was the market saying, you know, we don't really feel like it's ethical to sell to people under 18, so we're just going to go ahead and enforce that ourselves. Right. Uh, also, there were shops that were making e-liquid in their businesses. There were shops that were making it in labs. Naturally, the shops that made it in labs had a little bit of a competitive advantage right. uh, because they could enjoy a higher quality product and pass you know that quality on to the customers. The warning labels have grown exponentially. So back then, those warning labels were you know, just a small part of the label. Um, and then the requirements became 30% of the label. Now, if you look at a label, it wraps around the bottle. Yeah. So it was like that for a while. And then the FDA moved the goalposts again. Said 30%. They love moving of, the goalpost. <laughs> they do all the time. 30% uh, of both faces. So if you turn the bottle, no matter how you turn the label, you can see the warning. This product contains nicotine. Um, of course, this takes away from the whole, the label, uh, real estate. Right. And it, and it reduces products to putting information, 
you know, selling the product in a smaller area. Right. So, I mean, basically you might as well just have like a brand label that just says vape juice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and all their warnings on it. Some states go as far as restricting uh, types of images that you can put on your bottles. I know Oregon, though they don't enforce it, something to do with uh, no no people, no cartoons, no food. Uh, not being able to put food on the label, especially when you're selling a flavored, a food flavored product, yeah, is is pretty destructive. <laughs> you have to be pretty creative. Yeah, uh, you can say watermelon, and you know, like you said, the labels end up being pretty small as far as you know trying to you know advertise it. Uh, when a picture of a watermelon slice would work so much better, because right. then you could see it from across the counter. Oh, I want the watermelon flavor. Oh, that one's got a picture of a stick of bubble gum on it. I'll take that one. Um, yeah, this is this is just shortcutting information for consumers. When they see something that has a picture, they don't have to read the picture. They know exactly what it is right away. When it's just descriptive words, they have to use their imagination, and you know the product doesn't sell as well in that case. Hmm, it's almost like it's by design. <laughs> yeah, well, they say that using these kinds of images uh, advertises to children or markets to children, which is purely subjective. I mean, we have shops that are 18 and older restricted, 21 and older in Oregon. Uh, this idea that we're selling to kids when we ha when we sell it in a shop that you can't get into, you can't even go into unless you're over 21. Yeah. It's absurd. Yeah. And even if you had like one employee who's, you know, we've all had the, the story of, oh, the girl hit on me, but she was actually 16, but she kind of looked like she was about 21 type of thing. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I could see, you know, maybe somebody accidentally selling something, you know, they're not going to card. It was like, okay, I guess they look old enough, but I mean, that, that's got to happen very rarely, if at all, you know, and it's yeah. not, you know, it's not like, you know, the, the movie clerks with a little five-year-old walks in and buys a pack of cigarettes and a Zippo, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. I mean, dealing with government at, at this stage, I mean, you just, I don't even understand how people have hair left because I want to pull my hair out and I don't have to deal with it that often. You know, in oh, the man. civil design world, you know, I basically, you know, working with engineers and stuff and, um, you know, I'll hear some of the horror stories when they come back from a meeting with a, with a city council or something. And you're like, it's like, man, they just get in the way of stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. And it, it, it shrinks the, uh, you know, life expectancy of the, uh, people who try to, you know, navigate these obstacles. Yeah. Um, all right, Joel. Well, thank you for coming on. I know this is uh, your first time on a podcast. I would like to uh, do a thank you uh, uh, to the Empress of Meme for uh, getting me in touch with you and everything. Uh, you did great for your first time. So, Well, thanks, Eric. Yeah, I'm definitely super nervous. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed being on the show for sure. There's a lot, a lot of stuff out there. I definitely would recommend reading Hazardous to Our Health by Robert Higgs. Um, yeah. This yeah. was published in the 90s. But uh, a lot of prophetic stuff in here. Uh, the last chapter, Diminishing the Harm, is a great, great rebuttal, uh, really rebuking the FDA entirely. Yeah. And I would uh, recommend the book to anybody who's interested. Yeah. And another book that would be along the lines would be uh, Dr. Mary Ruart's uh, Healing Our World. Uh, she goes into a lot of that um, same kind of thing where the FDA you know, it's basically stifled any kind of innovation and it's probably killed people just keeping things away from the market, you know, for people to try. So 
Yep. Uh, well, Joel out there, keep the faith, man. I hope the business will start to pick up as soon as people get over their little fear reaction that they want. And uh, you have yourself a great night, okay? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you want me to plug Evaporin real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please do. Give all your plugs. <laughs> all right. Thanks, man. Uh, well, Eric, thank you first and foremost to you for having me on the show. Um, I would uh, give a shout out to Empress of Memes real quick just because, you know, she brought us together and I think that's awesome and she's doing great stuff. Uh, E-Militia podcast, definitely fun and fun to listen to and informative. Yeah. Um, if you want to buy some Evaporain, um, you can email me at evaporain at protonmail.com and I'll spell that for you. It's E-V-A-P-O-R-E-I-G-N. And uh, yeah, shoot me a, an email and uh, we'll see what we can do for you. I got some fruit flavors, some really good dessert flavors. That's kind of my specialty. And I would love to do business with any and all, you know, vape enthusiasts on the listening list. Awesome. And if you guys didn't catch that, also check the show notes because I'll put it in there. Um, so everyone, have yourself a great night. Uh, Joel, again, thanks for being on. I'll, I'll start giving your name out to the other podcasters, see if they can get you on too. So we'll uh, start spreading the word, okay? Awesome. Thanks so much, Eric. All right, man. Have a great night. You too.